Alrighty. So I should be live now. Perfect timing. Right on 7 o'clock. But yeah, we are out here today. Welcome everybody. If you're just tuning in. If you are listening on demand. To the Purple NBA Podcast. This is an idea I've been trying to get off the ground for a millennium. And we're finally doing it. Uh, today, I will be doing it solo, but we will be having some guests on, including, but not limited to, maybe some popular people in the NBA Twitter scene, aka Bowl World. Um, we'll have tons of fans of tons of different teams to get different perspectives on teams as we move closer and closer to the playoffs. But for now, we're just going to be talking about pure unadulterated basketball not talking about rumors not talking about any of that mumbo jumbo garbage that you can get literally anywhere we are just talking about basketball and i hope that you guys enjoy have a good time and if you have any questions you can ask the live chat so First topic is the Russell Westbrook issue. Now I'm going to address this in a future a future piece just by itself, but we need to talk about the Russell Westbrook issue because it is one of the things that is probably getting talked about more than most things not counting the Ben Simmons James Harden issue. Ultimately, it's going to be tough when you move from four teams in four years, it's going to be extremely tough. And when you count that a guy like Russell Westbrook has a specific style of game to him, it's going to make it even more difficult. And for the past about 50 games or so, this guy Russ has been... I guess trying to make it work, but towards the trade deadline, you kind of saw a little bit of complacency towards him. I myself personally thought that he was just trying to tank his trade value so that he didn't get traded from L.A. Because I think L.A. is where he wants to be. I think that's very much where he wants to be. And you can't blame him for wanting to stay in L.A. You can blame him for maybe the stuff that he's doing and we're going to talk about that right now so there's really three glaring issues with russell that maybe you could change one or two of them but the other one's just gonna just it's gonna irk at your craw every time you watch him and that's just his mental state like you can't you can't tell someone to improve their mental state if it's just not there it's just not there you never know what these human beings are going through playing 82 basketball games 41 of them away from their family you you just never ever really know do you and with russ he's such a a character that he's always going to be doing what russell wants to do and that echoes itself onto the basketball court russell ever since kevin durant left the thunder has been playing this uber conservative style of play where he sort of limits himself and i asked my discord what do you think is russell westbrook's number one strength as a basketball player everybody who was not trolling said <laughs> athleticism and i agree i agree i'm with them I think Russ has probably probably became the most athletic guard to ever play basketball. That's obviously debatable, surely. Because you've got Derrick Rose, you've got John Morant, you've got, I mean, essentially Penny Hardaway even. But when that all boils down... You're left looking at Russell Westbrook. Now, this guy was an Iron Man. He went, I mean, his first five years, he never missed a game, got injured 
that one year in OKC, got injured in the playoffs, got injured again. And since KD left after the 2015-16 season, the popular narrative that offseason was, man, Russ is probably going to average a triple-double. Because in the 2015-16 season, he he just shot up. So in 2014, he had two triple-doubles. In 2015, he had 11 triple-doubles. In 2016, he had 18 triple-doubles. And this also includes like three in the postseason as well. 2016-17, the entire rhetoric was Russ is going to average a triple-double. And he did along with 42 in the regular season. Russ, he... I love Russ. I really do. I don't want to sound like I'm bagging on him, but I'm trying to fix Russell right now. Russell switched how he played basketball. He switched how he played basketball, and he became a, for all intents and purposes, a worse basketball player trying to get these triple doubles now. You might be asking, like, what do you mean he's putting up better stats? But I'm here to tell you guys, stats aren't everything for basketball. Now, Russ is athletic. We've established that. Russ is going to stat pad. We've established that. And he's going to try and get triple doubles. All right, so with those three facts in mind, we're... Do you want your point guard in transition? Do you want your point guard near half court to get the outlet pass and start a fast break? Do you want your point guard being the first man down, especially if he's the most athletic guard in history? Do you want him to be the first man down the court? Or do you want your most athletic point guard in history being the rebounder? And then because he's the point guard, just setting up the offense in a full court set rather than a half court set. You got to ask yourself that. Now, for the better part of three years in OKC, an entire year in Houston, and a year of Washington, Russell actually slowed down the pace of his teams by going after these triple doubles, by being the guy to get these rebounds. Russ is essentially put a parking boot on his team's offense by setting them up so deep on the court and teams already know hey if Russ is just going to go after the boards let him we are going to double back on the transition and we're going to slow everyone else down and just like that they manipulated the fast break and it's over with essentially guys Russell Westbrook has murdered his own strength. Russell Westbrook, who has played... This will be his 1,000th game today. He's playing in his 1,000th game today. And for the past... 400 of them, he's not been his best self, even though he's putting up, quote-unquote, better stats. But if you look at the stats, he's really not putting up better stats. He was a much more efficient shooter before the triple-doubles. He was a much more efficient defender before the triple-doubles. And his team's records were a lot better before the triple-doubles. I love Russ, but I hate seeing him marginalize his own. And I agree with that, Alex. He has the worst hands out of all guards ever. He plays too fast. And because of it, he pigeonholes his own team. That's the issue with Russell Westbrook. Now, a lot of people were clamoring for him to get traded. I wouldn't have traded Russ because I still think there's a way that the Lakers can succeed with Russ. And the reason that I think so, it's simple. It's easy. He just needs to stop going for defensive rebounds. It is merely that simple. If Russell stops going after defensive rebounds so heavily and instead is beyond the hash, is at half court, 
for guys like LeBron, for guys like AD, Dwight, Trevor Ariza, DJ, those guys can secure the boards, make the outlet pass, and boom, you got a fast break going. If Russell does it, you're counting on those kind of guys to make it up the court to run the fast break. And it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. The Lakers need to coach Russ to stop crashing the boards. And I guarantee if they do that, they'll get more points in fast break. They'll get more points off of turnovers. And it's going to lead to open shots. Because what happens on a three-on-two fast break? Someone's got to cover the man. Someone's got to pick a side of the ball. You have an open three. You have an open layup. Open dunk. With guys like Malik Monk. With guys like Carmelo Anthony who are vicious at corner threes. You are doing yourself such a disservice by letting Russell Westbrook get rebounds. His body is going way too fast and his mind cannot keep up. Russell needs to be the initiator. He does not need to be the rebounder. Let Russell be the outlet pass, not the outlet passer. That's why Kevin Love was so successful in Cleveland. That's why Chris Bosh was so successful in Miami. Because Braun and D-Wade, Kyrie and Braun knew, we do not need to crash these boards. We can just get going. And if you look up LeBron's stats, look up LeBron dunks, a lot of them are in transition because his bigs are so good at securing defensive rebounds. They don't need their point guard to do it. Their bigs are perfectly capable of doing it. Now, in terms of the trade deadline, I would have liked to see the Lakers do something. They didn't do anything, but a lot of other teams did now. Obviously, there's the big deal with the Sixers and the Nets that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But I want to talk about some of the other trades. And one of the trades that comes up to mind is the CJ McCollum and the Portland Trailblazers deal. Essentially blowing up the team giving room for Anthony Simons, Yusuf Nurkic, Damian Lillard, just giving them room to grow as a unit, grow as a, a squad, and getting a few more possessions in their hands, moving on from the CJ contract, picking up a, a two-way player like Josh Hart, moving on from Larry Nance, um, all a bunch of positive moves, and honestly, the Trailblazers are looking decent. Like, they're playing the, the Grizzlies right now. They're competing on both sides of the court. They're playing great on both sides of the court. And these Grizzlies, the Memphis Grizzlies are legitimate contenders this year. Now, Portland, they're probably going to fall somewhere either out of the play-in or low in the play-in, but they're legitimate contenders. And if you look at the West... The West is chock full of legitimate contenders to come out of the West. When we're talking about the East, it's a little bit more of a bunch. But with the trades that were made, I think that Philly got better. I think that Brooklyn got better. So I don't think either of those teams actually lost that trade, contrary to what the casuals are saying on ESPN First Take. I don't think any team lost because if you look at it this way, Kyrie Irving has played some of his best basketball on the Brooklyn Nets, and he's been a shooting guard. He's not been a point guard. He's been a shooting guard. Now, if you, if you surplus that with a point guard and James Harden, who maybe lacks the gifts that he has offensively on defense. If you don't have that kind of guard that can go get you a stop, it's going to be tough come playoff time. And you saw it was very tough for the Nets because they really had no answer for both Giannis and Chris Middleton. Now they've got that answer. They got Ben Simmons. They could throw him on either one of them. And it'll slow one of them down. So then everyone else just has to focus on the other. Now, Blake Griffin did an amazing job defending Giannis in the conference. 
Was it the conference semis or was it the conference finals? I believe it was the conference finals. I believe it was, but correct me if I'm wrong. Now, I truly, truly, truly believe in my heart of hearts that Philadelphia 76ers are going to come out of the East this year. I don't think anyone in the East has an answer for Joel Embiid. And if anybody does, it's probably Milwaukee. If Giannis is willing to sacrifice and play the center position. Now, he's going to have to give up a lot on the offensive side. Because Joel Embiid just happens to be one of the best defensive bigs in the past three decades. Is Giannis going to be that unselfish? We'll have to wait and see. But we can even talk about Milwaukee at the trade deadline. They didn't make any significant moves, any significant changes, but they did go ahead and trade for... Dante DiVincenzo. They moved him, which... In the end of the day, they ended up with Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka is a very good player, but he's not been great the past couple years. He's had good games. He's had good moments. He's had a good playoff series. But are they thinking ahead? And are they surplusing for a a potential to play Joel Embiid? in the uh, Eastern Conference playoffs. That's what I think that move was for. Because they have the great Walla Lopez, who played phenomenal in the finals. Brooke Lopez played great against Aiton. He stretched the floor. He did his job. I think where the issue is, it's depth. Now they can bring Bobby Portis off the bench for Giannis, and they could even go with a big lineup and play Giannis with Middleton, with Portis, with Holiday, and with either Ibaka, or they could play with Lopez. Everyone in that lineup, minus Giannis, has a respectable jump shot. Everyone in that lineup is a very good defender. Minus, I'd say, maybe Middleton. Middleton's not great defensively, but he's long. He's lanky. That's what you like. I honestly think that the Bucks have the second best chance to come out of the East. And if we're talking the third best chance, it's got to be the Nets. It's got to be the Nets because you haven't seen sustained health out of Miami where you really want to see sustained health. And you've got Jimmy Butler who has off nights. He really does. But you already know that playoffs, Jimmy is going to be playing 42 minutes a game. Can he sustain that through a four, five, six, seven game series? Can he sustain that? Can Bam out of bio answer the test? Is Tyler Hero going to be good enough? Will Kyle Lowry give you enough? Is Victor Oladipo going to be back in time? Like the, there's too many questions surrounding Miami to throw them in a serious, legit contender spot, even though they probably are. They probably are. But for me, they're just leaving way too many questions unanswered. They lose too many games that they should win. And that's mind-boggling because they're first in the East. It is mind-boggling. They should be a lot better than they are right now. And that's saying something because the Miami Heat probably have the best record, not the best record, but the best roster, pound for pound in the entire league. But with 21 losses, with the record that they've had, it's just not great. They're away, they're away splits, it's not great. They're almost 500 away. They're pretty dominant at home, but they should be matching the Suns. They should be up there with the Phoenix Suns. And then you got the Miami, not the Miami Heat, but then you got the Chicago Bulls. Are the Chicago Bulls pretenders? That's what everybody would like to know. And 
I'm going to go out and say no. I'm going to go out and say the Bulls are not pretenders. I think once they get Lonzo Ball back, once they get Alex Caruso back, I think they'll be straight. And they're the second seed right now. They're joint first in the entirety of the East. They are joint first. And the Bulls have had injury problems. They've had chemistry issues, but they're getting it together. They sorted it out. They figured out who their number one guy is finally, because early on in the season, Zach Levine was still struggling with this. He was still struggling not being the number one guy. Nikola Vucevic was also having some issues not being the number one guy, as he was in Orlando for years. But now they kind of settled the pecking order. It goes to Rosen, it goes Levine, it goes Vucevic. Those three enough are a good enough team to get you a top four seed, as I said in the preseason. But I think that the Bulls can honestly come out of the East as the number one seed. They'll play whoever comes out of the play-in tournament. I think they'll sweep whoever comes out of the play-in tournament because in the East... The playing teams are not looking great. You got... I mean, the Nets are not going to be in the 8th seed, right? The Nets are 1-9 in the last 10 games. They're not going to be in the 8th seed once they get Simmons back. There's still some rumblings of Kyrie going to be able to play full-time. I think you're looking at the Raptors, the Hornets, the Hawks, the Wizards if they can make another hot run. I think the Knicks are essentially out of the playoffs at this rate. I I, I I honestly have the Bulls. I think it's going to be the Heat, the Bulls, the Bucks, and the Sixers as legitimate contenders in the East. Now, if we talk about the West, the West is wild because I think, honestly, honest to gosh, 1-9 to nine with the right people healthy, maybe minus the Clippers. I would say any of these teams can make it out of the, out of the West. You got the Suns who are head and shoulders, my favorites to make it out of the West. Uh, For any weaknesses that the Suns had, they patched it in the trade deadline. They brought back in Torrey Craig. They're phenomenal. Are the Suns gonna keep it going is Devin Booker gonna keep improving is Chris Paul gonna keep fighting against father time I don't really see the Warriors as legitimate contenders even though they have one of the best rosters in the league they just aren't good enough away for me to say you know Maybe they can make something happen. And the same with the Lakers. The Lakers are 9-18 and 18 on the road this year. Horrible. The team should be a lot better. They're 21 games out of first. They're a game and a half out of the eighth seed. The Lakers should not be where they are. I think that ultimately injuries have done them in, right? Because... Anthony Davis got hurt. Then LeBron got hurt. And then Anthony Davis got hurt again. And now you got all three back. But you still have these depth problems with the Lakers. Like Melo's out. And it's something about the Lakers that just doesn't click. But it's got to start clicking soon. It's got to, or else they're done for. And I know that the Lakers don't want to keep wasting years of AD and LeBron's prime. I know that they do not want to. So let me know what you guys think about the Lakers, where they're going to go. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about them later on. But the last team I do want to talk about is the Mavericks. The Mavericks, like the Grizzlies, have really came from came from nowhere this year. With just some solid improvements. Now, you'll ask fans of these teams. You'll ask, you know, 
quote unquote an analysts, pundits. I don't know what the hell an analyst is, is. but <laughs> you ask those kind of people and they'll tell you what they think is wrong with both teams. Personally, I think it all just comes down to depth and I think it shows how much that the Grizzlies have grown over the Mavericks within depth. I think the Mavericks could definitely contend if they just had the right depth they made some very weird trades to, I believe, bank on next year. They moved a pretty hefty contract in Porzingis to, I believe, they're, they're going to try and contend next year. They're going to try and make some offseason moves. Some all right free agents, but a lot of the top, top, top free agents re-signed this year, so it's... It's kind of it's kind of tricky what they're doing, the Mavericks. It's kind of tricky what they're doing. But we'll have to wait and see what happens with them. I do think Luka is still criminally underrated for the stuff that he's doing with that team because you look at this guy and you just think, like, if I need one possession to get one bucket to get one point I honestly think I'd want the ball in Luca's hands because in those moments in that winning time I don't have the numbers on this but something about Luca just makes your hair stand up it makes you think oh, we are in some trouble we're in some absolute trouble. And this year has been a tough year for him with the Olympics, with the head coaching change, but he's still having an incredible year for a guy that maybe had one of the best sophomore seasons of all time. For a guy that's in a senior... This would be a senior year of college, Luca. He would be a senior in college right now. Putting up 27-9-9 on a nightly basis for the Dallas Mavericks. You still want to see improvements with his shot. You still want to see improvements with his free throw. You still want to see him make a couple more buckets. But when the ball's in Luca's hands, you feel like the Mavericks are going to score. And that's what I love about the dude. So if the playoffs started today, who wins the title? I've honestly got to give it to the Phoenix Suns. Now, this is a big if. Are the Phoenix Suns legit enough to do it? We saw them last year go two games up on the Bucks, And I think they kind of got full of themselves. I think game three really punched them in the face. And I think ultimately they saw this guy and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And for whatever reason, they couldn't figure out how to stop him. They couldn't figure out a zone that worked because of just the incredible shooting. They tried putting DeAndre Ayton on him. That didn't really work. Nothing seemed to work. They didn't have the adjustments that I like out of Monty Williams. Um, I feel like Mike Budenholzer outcoached them. I feel like the Bucks outplayed them, and I feel like the Bucks wanted it more. Simple as that. Similar to how the Suns wanted it more than the Lakers and then the Clippers, I think, honest to gosh, the Bucks just wanted to be NBA champions more than the Suns did. And I don't think that that's a controversial statement in the slightest. But you look at the play of Booker. You look at the play of Chris Paul. And you look at the things that he's doing. Ultimately, what are you going to do about it, right? I'm actually proud of Booker for taking the shots that he did. Because apart from, apart from the one game, I believe he was like 3 of 14. And then he benched himself. 
he benched himself. Apart from that game, you got to say that him and Chris Paul, they did everything that they wanted to set out and do. They they took their shots. Aiton had a pretty decent playoff run. Besides that, though, I think the role players kind of kind of smoked them. They kind of smoked them in the finals. And I feel like that just came down to experience, but the Suns now have that finals experience. They have that playoff series experience. So I do think that the Suns could take the title in five or six games from whoever comes out of the East, and I honestly think it's going to be Embiid and the 76ers that come out of the East this year. Which begs the question, how do those teams match up? You got Tobias Harris. You got James Harden. But you also have, on the other side, you have Chris Paul, who I believe is one of the least talked about players in the entire NBA, quite literally having a renaissance of his career. What is there that Chris Paul could do better right now. And I think Chris Paul is the ultimate X factor in that conversation about who comes out as the champ this year. Because you look at CP, right? You look at CP, you look at what he's doing. He's leading the league in assists. He's still playing that stout defense that you know about him. His turnover percentage, his turnover ratio is unreal. He's rarely in foul trouble. He's making his threes. He's still deadly from the free throw line. Like He's still the point god, and that's why he's an all-star. And then you got Devin Booker, who maybe he's not, you know, pushing that next step in his development. Maybe he's not making those shots that you want him to make, but he's taking those shots. He's shooting more threes this year. He's making more threes this year. But I think this is the time. This is the make it break it moment for the Phoenix Suns to say, hey, are we legit about this? Or is this it? Are we going to plateau? Are we just going to be that NBA Finals team that never wins the chip? Are we going to be the Buffalo Bills? Are we going to be the Utah Jazz? That's what I don't want to see. I don't want to see that. Now, I know a lot of people, their best friend is Twitter. Their best friend is basketball reference and fair play. Extremely fair play. Just make sure you're using those for the right reasons. Don't use those to create a narrative or control a narrative, but use that to to ask questions. Use that to look at guys and wonder... Hey, why aren't they getting better? Why why are they why are they being stagnant? And realize what the heck is going on. Now Jake says that the Pacers are winning the championship in the next five years. I think the Pacers had a really good trade deadline. I think they moved some extremely important pieces, but they brought back even more important pieces. And you look at a team like the Pacers, if they can get a solid draft pick this year, trade the draft pick because this um, upcoming draft is terrible. You heard it here first. This upcoming draft is god-awful. You do not want to have a draft pick this year, which I feel for the Rockets and the Thunder because that's quite literally all they have is draft picks. I would disassociate myself as much as I can with this year's draft because it inevitably is going to just be a bad one. Uh, I think that teams really could. I think that five years from now in the NBA, a lot of teams could be up there and a lot of teams could hit the deck. You think of contracts, like the Warriors won't be the Warriors in five years. The Heat won't be the Heat in five years. I think the Bucks will still be pretty decent. I think the Cavaliers will be pretty decent. I don't think the Celtics will be the Celtics in five years. And that's just the Eastern Conference. 
The Suns won't be the Suns. I think the best teams in the West in five years, we're talking the Grizzlies, we're talking the Mavericks, and potentially, potentially, I don't want to get anyone's hopes up, but potentially the Minnesota Timberwolves. We're going to talk about them next week, though, because we're going to have some Timberwolves fans on here. But I think that the Timberwolves are quite literally one or two moves away from creating an actual playoff team that could actually win a playoff series. And I think that's deadly. I think that's deadly. I think these upcoming playoff series are going to be insane. And even the Clippers, like the Clippers won't be the Clippers in five years. So very great points. Now let's, uh, let's transition to talk about some awards predictions. And that's kind of the theme and the title and the thumbnail is can LeBron win the MVP? I definitely think he can, but he's not my pick to win MVP. He's not my pick to win MVP. Now. I have two MVP picks and the thing that's going to differentiate one from the other for me is who goes further with their team. Obviously the Nuggets have less star power. The Nuggets probably have a better coach. I would love, I'll say it right now on the purple podcast. Mike Malone is a better coach than Doc Rivers. Mike Malone is a better head coach than Doc Rivers. From adjustments, to sets, to plays, to series, Mike Malone is a better coach than Doc Rivers. And the Nuggets are going to get Jamal Murray back soon. Jamal Murray is one of my favorite players to watch. Now... And Bede, on the other hand, you've got to give him his flowers. He's dominant right now. He's absolutely dominant. And I think that the Sixers did lose a lot of depth with the trade. I think Seth Curry's phenomenal. And pretty much all they got back was Millsap and Harden. I think Andre Drummond was actually pretty decent depth for Philly. Now, your fourth quarter lineup in Philadelphia is going to be looking like James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, JoJo Hans Embiid. You're going to have Tobias Harris in there still. But the thing that's going to break it down is going to be Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers does not know what to do in the fourth quarter. And you still got Danny Green. You got tons of vets on that team as well. Um, Mixed with a lot of young guys. Like a lot of those guys that I named are the vets. Paul Millsap's there, but you're not going to get a minute out of Paul Millsap in an important game. You got Matisse Thibault still, who I love. Isaiah Joe is going to be a very good basketball player in a few years. But pound for pound, I think these teams match up very, very good. And like Brad says, we are literally about to have four straight big men win the MVP. And I agree. Because I like to say that Giannis is a power forward center. He's a big. I don't think he's a guard at all. I don't think he's a wing at all. I think he's a big. Could Giannis win MVP? 1,000%. Should he? Probably not. Probably not. Is he the most valuable player to his team? Maybe. He just might be. But right now, if you took James Harden... Sorry. If you took Joel Embiid off the Sixers team... I think it has the like similar impact to Nikola Jokic, right? And people, they love to use stats. They love to, to use stats for this kind of stuff. Me, I'm much more of a just 
what a game knowledge guy with who should be MVP and who's the most valuable player. Should there be a best player award? Let me know. I think a best player award should definitely be a thing. And then there should be an MVP award. But I do agree. Um, I, I've never thought that Steph was ever the most valuable player on his team. I think Draymond's probably the most valuable player on the Warriors. And that's a, a given. Look at the win percentage with and without him. Um, it's just... It's just unreal. It's just unreal. You have one guy who's uh, a leader, and one guy who's not. But we'll talk about Curry next next episode. I don't want to I don't want to bash a player without having the uh, the research and stuff. So I'll spend the week doing research on the Warriors and Curry. Um, but this this brings me to the point of is the great centers era on its way back and here's the thing about basketball right here's the thing about life when there's an absence of something those things are going to come along to fill that absence now from 20 2014 and onward we've had this gap we we really had no truly elite big men in the NBA. And you could you could play the DeMarcus Cousins card. Uh, I was a huge DeMarcus Cousins fan. DeMarcus Cousins was really never truly elite. Um, you can just look at his numbers. Uh, a center should never be shooting in the 40s for percentage. That's just me, though. Um, that is just me. I like to think that... A truly elite center should be in the mid-50s for percentage. It should never be anywhere near the low 40s unless they're taking unless they're taking jump shots, unless jump shots are part of their game. Boogie, for a while, really wasn't taking jumpers until like 2015. Now, JoJo Embiid, he's a big jump shot guy. Um... He'll get you into the paint, but jumpers are a big part of his game. You look at the percentage of his actual jump shots by distance, a majority of his jumper, a majority of his shots are mid-range jump shots. He shoots more, almost more three-pointers than he does at the rim. And I think that's a testament to just how dominant he is as a big man. I would like to also argue there's probably more elite bigs now than there have been since the 90s, right? You look at the 2000s. Who did you really have as an elite big in the 2000s? First off, you had Shaquille O'Neal. And for all intents and purposes, Shaq kind of murdered basketball for an entire generation. Because for a whole generation, you had teams just putting out these big, ugly, slow scrubs that were, for all intents and purposes, there just to slow down Shaq, just to contain Shaq, to try and stop Shaq. Did it work? No. Then you had... Tim Duncan, who kind of had the finesse that you never really saw from a big like that. Um, because for all intents and purposes, you could have put Tim at the small forward, you could have put Tim at the center. But he was that's how good of a power forward he was. That's how versatile he was. You had your Tim Duncans, you had your Wallace twins in Detroit. Were they elite? Probably not. You got this young kid out of Orlando putting up monster numbers named Dwight Howard. Um, Yao Ming was maybe elite for a cup of coffee. 
you had Kevin Garnett. But what this all boils down to is winning, right? And after Shaquille O'Neal, what teams realized was you couldn't really build a winning team around a big, uh, minus the caveats of Dirk Nowitzki and the Dallas Mavericks, because that was just one of the best built teams of all time. Like, that team was so well built around Dirk Nowitzki. Um, people often say that that Dallas team was worse than they were, and that's so criminal because that Dallas Mavericks team, that's such a discredit to them. They were phenomenal. But when you talk about winning a championship built around a big, what was truly the last team to do that? Before, say, the Milwaukee Bucks. It's hard to think about, right? Because even the Spurs, Spurs weren't built around Tim Duncan. They were built around a system. It really goes back to the Miami Heat with Shaq. It goes back to the Lakers with Shaq. And essentially teams noticed that. They adopted that. And then they had this skinny kid out of Davidson come in shooting the ball from everywhere, spacing the floor from everywhere. And they realized that the only way to defend this was to get quicker defensively. And the smaller that we got on defense meant the better shooting that we had. And then the analytics came in and the Mike D'Antonis of the world came in and it said, the more threes you make, the more often you're going to win. The more threes you make compared to twos, the more often you're going to win. Effective field goal percentage came into talks. No one ever talked about effective field goal percentage before Stephen Curry. You had this entire position just gone because these big, slow, ugly dudes, they couldn't guard Steph Curry off the screen. They couldn't guard Damian Lillard off the screen. You ask Damian Lillard in a podcast with J.J. Redick, Who's your favorite team to play against? Oh, the Utah Jazz. Because Rudy Gobert will never blitz a screen. He will never hedge a screen. He will never pick up a screen. So Dame, against the Jazz, you look at his at his, uh, his splits for shooting, it's off the charts. He's shooting primarily pull-up jump shots. Why? Because the Jazz have a big ugly guard sorry a big ugly center that is not going to blitz those those screens and if you don't know what blitz means it's just uh, two guys attacking a ball handler two guys attacking a ball handler um but no truly i think that the great centers are on its way back like you look at it and let's just do a head count off the top of my head right West Coast to East Coast. You've got Anthony Davis. You got Sabonis. You got Yusuf Nurkic. You've got Nikola Jokic. You've got Jarrett Allen. You've got. DeAndre Ayton. I was trying to think of his name forever. I had DeAndre, couldn't think of the Ayton. Uh, you have Giannis Akatapakatapu. You have, I mean, the once he gets back, you've got Zion Williamson, who's only going to be banging in the post, banging in the paint. Um, you got Bam Adebayo, Rudy Gobert, and there's probably a few I'm not naming, like Carl Towns, Joel Embiid. It's unreal how many centers are out there that are like legit guys to go out and get 20 and 10 with a couple blocks a game. We haven't had this for a decade, right? So this is this is new to a lot of people that are starting to watch basketball now. They're not used to all these centers. And it's one of those things where it's like, 
pretty soon we're going to be going back to the spacing game and then we'll go back to the centers and then the spacing game the NBA finals commentary very much showed off like dang is the mid-range on its way back because you had Booker you had CP you had Giannis you had Middleton all hitting turnaround mid-ranges pull up mid-ranges you got guys like LeBron who LeBron is shooting unreal from the mid-range this year unreal from the mid-range last year and the year before that Um, he's actually shooting better from the mid-range in the past three years than Jordan ever did. And Jordan's known for his mid-range. Kobe was known for his mid-range pull-ups. But there's this, there's this efficiency level with these centers being back in the game that it's captivating. It's seducing. It's alluring. And I think, honestly, like centers are back. And that's something that Maybe five, six years ago, we would have said that center, the position of center is dead. Because you look at five, six years ago, Jokic was a bench warmer. Joel Embiid was, he was still injured five, six years ago. He was a rookie. He sat out two years after he got drafted. Um, Certain things like that, like it really took two dudes to revitalize a position and now that you can throw a third in there with Giannis you can comfortably say that if we're talking top five NBA players in the world right now it's probably LeBron Embiid, Jokic Giannis and It's hard to think of a fifth. It really is. Because I don't think anyone right now is playing up to that fifth best player in the world. I'd say KD, but he's hurt. Maybe we'll throw it to Luka. Right? We'll throw it to Luka. Three of those top five are bigs, and even LeBron was playing center this year. So it's very interesting to see just how great the center position is this year. And it's, for all intents and purposes, it is captivating. And I literally cannot wait for the playoffs because so many teams got better in the trade deadline. We talked about how simple it is for teams to come out of the West. I I, I truly believe that this is going to be one of the more interesting playoffs in years past. Last thing I do want to talk about is LeBron this season and just how incredible it is that, I mean, you got to mention the longevity at least once, right? Everyone talks about it. We got to mention at least once his career numbers, career numbers, right? 27.1 points per game. This season, he's at 29. Seven and a half rebounds per game. This year, is at 7.9. 7.4 assists per game. This year, he's at 6.5. And he's been injured. And he's been playing injured. And he's been passing the scrubs. Field goal percentage, 50.4. This year, he's at 52. Three-point percentage, 34.5%. This year, he's at 35.2 with the highest volume of his career. Free throw percentage, 73.4. This year, 74.6. Effective field goal percentage, 54.4. This year, 58.5. Quite literally, playing 37 minutes a game, he's having one of the best years of his entire career. And had he not been injured, 
had he not been resting had he not taken a step back to let the scrubs kind of work on himself let Westbrook and AD find chemistry I think that he'd honestly be in the MVP conversation but because the Lakers are struggling he's not but he's got to be in some sort of conversation right now and I don't feel like he's being talked enough about right now and it's similar with like Kevin Durant who's playing incredible basketball for Brooklyn before he got hurt all that was being talked about was Kyrie Irving all that being talked about was the James Harden situation you look at a guy who's in his 19th year of professional basketball putting up better numbers than his career averages. Better numbers than most career averages. In his 19th year of basketball. It's just unreal to me. What I expect out of the Lakers is a deep playoff run. I expect them to make the, the finals. I expect them to win the title. Those are my expectations for the Lakers. It's not what I think is going to happen. Those are my expectations. They've got probably the best player on the planet. They've got Anthony Davis. They've got Westbrook, who is literally... It is literally a mental thing for Westbrook at this point. But I think the Lakers need to get they need to get into the playoffs and I'm not talking playing tournament talking legitimately make the playoffs can they do it 1000% win streaks happen you forget LeBron went on a 27 game win streak in Miami he went on a 20 game win streak in Cleveland these things can happen Especially with this Lakers team, with how good that they are. We won't talk about their coach. We won't talk about anything else that's going on. Because I think, I truly think they probably need, they need to apply some pressure. Something's got to give. You know, we can't just keep allowing certain things like this to coexist now the Lakers have been playing impressively good basketball recently they're just not picking up results ever since ever since really late January they lost by three to the Hornets they lost by eight to the Hawks five they beat the Trailblazers they lost by one to the Clippers but you saw in that game more passion than you've seen in any point (laughs) before right they're they're not getting blown out they're not getting blown out and that's what you want to see like they're they're winning the big games that you want to see them win they're in games that you want to see them in but eventually man as a team you got to take that next step and as a die hard basketball fan you want to see the Lakers doing good even if you hate them even if you love them you want to see them doing good because you want to see LeBron in the playoffs you want to see playoff LeBron these are the things that you want to see you want to see how deep he can take a team and I think he can take this scrub ass Lakers team as far as he wants to go and I mean these next these next six games are must-win. We're talking the Jazz, the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Mavericks, the Lakers, and the Clippers on March the 3rd. National television. That's the biggest game of the season because that's the turning point. You win a national TV game, that gives you the momentum. That gets you ready to go. It's a very congested schedule right now, but you got a back-to-back in mid-March against the Suns and the Raptors. And up to that point, you got to win. 
you gotta win. There's not a whole lot of games left. But teams that I want to see in the playoffs this year are the Lakers. And I want to see the Miami Heat on a deep run as well because they, for all intents and purposes, the Heat have underwhelmed. And we'll talk about more about that next week. And we'll leave you guys off there. But thank you guys for coming through the first episode of the Purple NBA Podcast. Much love to everybody and have a great week. Deuces.